We are coming to an end of our discussion on the disciples, and uh, more specifically, the 12 apostles. And as we uh, have gone through them, we are learning things about each one of them. Uh, we broke them down into groups of three groups of four. The group, first group, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We talked about the idea of Peter, who's kind of the head of all of the disciples, and particularly of this group of four, uh, kind of the spokesman most of the time. And Peter's a, a reminder to us of the idea that uh, we, we don't have to have our act all together when we follow Christ. We're, we're all a work in progress, and that's what you see in the life of Peter. You see him growing as, as he goes along. We talked about Andrew always bringing people to Jesus, and that was a great reminder for us. Uh, we talked about James and John, sons of thunder. These are two hot-headed guys that had quite a temper. But in following Jesus, they were able to uh, mellow out a little bit and focus on what was important. So you find James adding mercy to his life and, and becoming much more merciful, even though he was a kind of a hard black and white kind of guy. Uh, you see John focusing on the idea of love. And so they, they, they have this temperament that's, that, that adds to it this idea of love and, and of mercy. Uh, you come to the second group, and the second group was Philip, uh, Bartholomew, or Nat, Nathaniel sometimes as he's known, and then Thomas or, and, then Thomas and uh, Matthew. Uh, and we talked about the idea of Philip and the idea of just he kind of missed the whole big picture here, and, 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 and sometimes we do that in our lives as well, and we kind of forget what, what, what's really important as far as the overall kind of scheme of things. Uh, we talked about Nathaniel, and that was the idea of his prejudice has gotten in the way. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We talked about Matthew, who uh, is an incredible fact that th- th- this guy was the outcast of outcasts, and yet God chose him as a disciple. I mean, uh, there, were, you know, there were sinners, and then there were tax collectors, and uh, they got their own little category, and yet Jesus chose one of them to, to be the disciple. And then we talked about Thomas, sometimes gets a bad rap because known as the doubter, but yet the reality of it is he had this heroic pessimism that said, Lord, even, even if you're going to die, I'm okay with that. I'll go with you. Uh, we're in uh, no matter what. Uh, and then we got that last group that we, don't, eh, we just don't focus on. We just don't talk about a whole lot. Uh, we talked about the idea of James the Less, son of Alphaeus, and just kind of one of those quiet guys that stood in the background. Um, and yet God used him uh, in a great way. Uh, just in, in a way to be able to minister and, and to have that kind of uh, uh, outlook. We talked about uh, Simon the Zealot. Ah, boy. Uh, you know, a guy who was a right wing as far out there as you can get, and yet Jesus chose him. We talked about uh, Judas, not Thaddeus, Labius, um, uh, who really is a gentle soul disciple. He's the one that's looking out for everybody else. And then last week we talked about Judas Iscariot, the, the, the disciple who betrayed Christ. And even though he was in the, the presence of Jesus the entire time, those entire three years, he never really possessed Jesus. And it, it never became personal in his life. And just a reminder to us that, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to think that, that, that the ritual or the routine is what makes us a Christian. But the reality of it is it's only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is possible to go to church, to be around Christianity, to be around Christ for a long period of time and still never possess that personally. And we talked about the significance of that. Now we come to Judas has killed himself. He's, he's uh, you know, we, we talked about that last week. And now the disciples have to pick a replacement. So how do they do that? How do you pick the next disciple? 
Uh, and Acts chapter 1 gives us a lot of insight into how and, and the process and what they did because it gives us some ideas for leadership too. It gives us some insight for how we choose leaders. And uh, so Acts chapter 1, here's what, it, uh, here's what he says. Uh, and then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from a hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they had arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then it lists all the 11 disciples that were there. Okay, um, I've got to go to bigger font, so I'm not going to put all the 11 guys up there. Uh, then it goes on. Go to the next passage um, that i got up here. Uh, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, and then the next passage goes on and it talks about, you know, this is what Judas has done, and, and he hung himself, and his guts split open, and he gives us very graphic detail about Judas's death. But here's what's important for us. At this point, Peter stands up among the believers, and there's 120 of them. So at this point, what, what Peter does is, again, we've talked about him kind of being the head of the disciple. He stands up in front of everybody. He takes the lead. He's going to take the lead in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost as well. Peter stands up in front of this 120 people, and he says, okay, here's what's happened. And uh, Judas is now gone, and we got to get a replacement. And so here's what he says, uh, the next passage. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men, and now here's, here's, notice what they did. They said, we're going to choose a guy. And again, remember, the whole group was in there praying. But we're going to choose a guy, and here's some of the qualifications. Number one, he had to be with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. So in Acts chapter 1, you have Jesus leaving. The disciples are trying to make this decision now. Who's going to take Judas's place? And so Peter stands up, and he goes, okay. He said, uh, we're going to pick somebody who's been with us from the baptism of Jesus to just a little while ago when Jesus took off. Okay? So he said, qualification number one. Then he said, um, and for one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Number two, they had to witness the resurrection. So think about this for a minute. I don't know if this is the way it played out, but let's say you've got 120 people in the room. You say, okay. Everybody who was here at the baptism of Jesus and followed him all the way up until his crucifixion, stand up. He got a group standing up. And he goes, okay, everyone who saw Jesus resurrected, uh, if, if you didn't see Jesus resurrected, sit down. So now they got a group. It may have been only these two. But now they got a group of people who have met those two qualifications. And they're going, okay, we're going to pick our next disciple, our next apostle, out of out of out of one of these, then narrow it down to two. Notice what it goes on to say. Um, so they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So they get down to two guys, Justice and, and, and Matthias, and, and they say, okay, now we don't know what to do. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go I like this, where he belongs. Uh, <laughs> like, these guys are real, okay? These guys are real. Uh, you know, they were still stinging from what had happened. Uh, even, and, and, you know, you don't ever have to worry about what Peter's thinking because he tells you. Um, 
And then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So then they cast lots. This is a way of saying they drew straws. A long straw, short straw. I don't know which straw gets it, but whoever gets the straw, they're the new guy. Uh, and that's how they picked him. Now, um, and then Matthias becomes the new apostle to take the place of Judas. And we'll talk about him in a second. Let me take a rabbit trail for a second first. I want to talk a little bit about this whole casting of lots thing, okay? Um, there are some people that believe in, in, in throwing out a fleece or in uh, kind of making a deal with God when you don't know what to do and you go, okay, God, if, if you want to do this, then you need to do this and um, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to kind of let God decide. And, 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 and a lot of people look at like Gideon, the story of Gideon's fleece or the story of this story where they cast lots or when the high priest would cast lots, okay? Let me remind you a couple of things. Number one, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, even in this case, they're trying to discern God's will. What does God want us to do? Now, there's a couple of things that you have to remember. Number one, they don't have a written revelation of God's word. At this point, none of the New Testament has been written. The first book that's going to come is James, and that's going to come another 10 to 20 years after this event. So at this point, all they have are the teachings of Jesus that they've heard. Secondly, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet either. The Holy Spirit's going to come in Acts chapter 2 and dwell in their hearts permanently. Until then, the Holy Spirit left people and, and, and went in and out. We see that in the Old Testament uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person to do something for a certain amount of time and, and it goes back and forth. So two things that, that are important to remember that when these people are trying to decide what does God want, they don't have a written revelation and they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So they're trying to say, God, look, we need something to, let, to know which direction you want us to go. Now, the unique thing about us being believers in 2017 is this. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and we have a written revelation of the Word of God that can guide and direct us when we're trying to decide which way do we go, what do we do. And so I'm not going to tell you that I've never put out fleeces, and I've never done this, okay, Lord, you know, if you want this, do this, and if you want that, do that. But, but I will say this, it's not the best way to make a decision. Um, because the bottom line is, and it's not the way, by the way, it's not the way we, um, it's not the way we, we guide the, and direct the church either, you know. It's not like, okay, God, if you want us to build a new building, then put $300,000 in our bank account by February 15th, you know. I mean, yeah. But I know people do that, you know, that, that's the kind of thing, or name it and claim it kind of thing. And, 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 and I mean, I, you know, that, that's fine if that's what, that, their thing that they want to do. But I, I just think that, you know, I ask people when people are trying to make a tough decision, I say, let me tell you something. You've got the written word of God, and you have Jesus Christ living in your heart. What else do you need to help you make the right decision? I mean, I, I, can we really beat those two things? You know, because God's very clear on what to do and what not to do, and the Holy Spirit can guide and direct your heart. So, I mean, what else do you need, you know? Well, you know, if God could just come down and tell me, well, yeah, we would all love that, you know, but that's not the way it works. God puts his spirit in our hearts to tell us. And so, you know, I, I just want to say that about the Catholic. Back then they didn't have that, so they're trying to discern. They get it, again, they got it down to two guys, which is pretty impressive. And now they're saying, okay, we're going to draw straws. Matthias, you win. You're the new guy, all right? Let's talk about what we know about Matthias. Almost nothing. What we know about Matthias is either in 
in history or extra biblical stuff or in apocryphal literature, and there's some really wild things in there that are really cool and fun to read. Um, we think that he was from uh, um, actually uh, uh, from Bethlehem, or was it Bethlehem? Uh, yeah, Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah, which would be unique, kind of interesting. Uh, as far as history goes, there's all kinds of things surrounding this guy. Uh, and his, they believe that when he, when he, as a disciple or as an apostle, he goes to the barbarians and the cannibals of the day. So he kind of goes to the really far out wild people of the day. Um, there's one story that he was uh, cut open, um, and all of his all of his intestines were all ripped out. There's another story that says uh, he was beheaded and then stoned, uh, stoned and then beheaded. And that when he got ready to, to die, he said, will you bury me with the first two stones that you threw at me? Uh, so if you ever see a picture of him sometimes in, uh, in religious art, he has, there's two rocks or there's, there's a rock usually somewhere in the picture associated with that. Uh, some people say he just died of old age in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, there's all kinds of things about him that kind of swirl uh, because we just don't know a lot about him, which I think is the most impressive thing about him. Okay, and 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 here's and here's why. Okay, um, this is a guy. Uh, just think about this for a minute. Some of you kids can relate to this. Some of you adults can too. This is a guy who sat on a bench for three years. You get that? In other words, he was at the baptism of Jesus, and as Jesus is picking disciples, it's like you and you and you and you and not you. And not you. And these two guys, Justin and Matthias, they have been there. They, ha, they, were, they saw the resurrected Christ. They were there for three years. I mean, think about this. When the disciples went into town, they're like, okay, okay, we got to have something to eat. Okay, I'm, Jesus, I'm, Jesus is responsible for these 12 guys. And it's like, okay, we're going to feed these 12 guys. And, and okay, guys, we got housing for you 12. What do these guys do? What, where do they go? I mean, they're just one of the 120 hanger honors who are sitting the bench, so to speak. And I don't know, okay, I came from a family that my, my dad and mom had, my dad had, had this rule that uh, my parents encouraged me to try sports. And the rule was if you tried a sport, you had to play one season, then you could decide whether or not you wanted to do it the next season. But if you started it, you had to finish the whole season. That was, that was the rule, okay, which I think is a great rule. Um, so I tried um, sports. I have played. I tried to make a list this morning. I have ran track. I have played football. I have wrestled. I played baseball. I played basketball. Um, what else? I had to make a list. Um, uh, baseball. Oh, soccer. Um, I did soccer uh, and basketball and, and, and baseball. Um, and, and I did all of those sports. And you know how many of them I was good at? I was the guy, this is a different world now, but I was the guy who sat at the end of the bench in just about all of those sports. And when you got far enough ahead that it was almost impossible to lose, kind of like the Super Bowl, um, where it's impossible to lose, um, you all, yeah, I don't care about the Super Bowl, you know, I just, I had turned it off and then at the last minute I went to turn something else on TV and I'm like, whoa, this is close. Uh, 
So I watched the interview because, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, but I mean, it was one of those deals where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, like I say, it was the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history because everybody had pretty much said, okay, when, when, the, when it got to that point, I was the guy the coach looked at and went, okay, put him in, you know, because, I mean, even he can't lose this lead, you know. I was that guy. I was a guy when you were running track. Some of you will remember this. We had the 880, which was like, okay, the fast kids didn't run the 880, and the long-distance kids didn't run the 880. We gave the 880 to the kids who were just like in the middle, you know. I mean, they just weren't going to be – they weren't fast, and they weren't slow, and they weren't long distance, and they weren't, you know. So it was like, okay, we don't know where else to put you. You can run the 880. Um, and so uh, our, our, our coach, I was in Detroit, Michigan at the time, and our coach was, uh, was also the coach of the cross-country team. And uh, our cross-country team, we were a private school, but our cross-country team was ranked eighth in the state. And our warm-up for track was, uh, we lived in Redford Township, which was right on the border of Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, and Redford Township are right here. And our, where our school was, we, we went back and forth kind of across that border in Redford, Michigan. And our coach for the warm-up, we'd do like a two-mile warm-up, and he would take 15 to 20 white boys, and we would run the alleys of Redford, Michigan. <clears throat> now, got to remember this. This is the this is the mid seventies. The late sixties, we had the Chicago riots, okay, or, or the Detroit riots. Um, when you take that many white boys and you run them through the back alleys of Detroit, it doesn't matter whether you're fast or not. You always keep up. And that's how he trained the track team, is we learned to run together. No matter how you felt, no matter what you did, that was our warm-up, and then we would do track things. So I, I only did that for a season. Uh, one season of track. I was done. <clears throat> tennis, awesome. I love tennis. Swimming, love to swim, but we didn't have a swim team. I was one of those guys, though, that was always on the bench. So I, I, I like this guy because I can relate to this guy. It just wasn't my thing. I later found out that, I mean, I tried band. That wasn't my thing. I tried music. That wasn't my thing. Speech, that's my thing. You know, because I had parents who said, try it. If you fail, you've learned that's not what you're good at. Go on to the next thing. And, and that was great for me. You know, now it's like, oh, we make everybody do everything. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know if I, how I feel about that. But anyway, uh, the idea is this. This guy sat on a bench for three years. And at the end, there came a point where Jesus, look, where, where the disciples look at him and go, you're in now. And justice, who had just as much stuff, doesn't make the cut. But he still followed Jesus. Look, some of you feel that way because it's like, you know, you, you watch people around here doing stuff and you watch friends who are doing stuff involved in ministry and doing this ministry and doing that ministry and adding to this and adding to that. And it's just kind of like you're kind of the guy that's sitting on the end of the bench watching everybody else get involved and going, you know, I kind of want to, but I don't, we'll just have to see, and I don't know. And, and all of a sudden, there'll come a time when all of a sudden God says, now I need you to go do this. 
But this guy followed all along, and that, that was important. And all of a sudden, there came an opportunity where he could use his talents, gifts, and abilities, and he jumps in, and he becomes a disciple. Um, and that, that's the story of Matthias, which I think is a great lesson for all of us. Um, just kind of do an overview of the 12 guys and, and just some observations and, and, and things that I think stand out, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with two things that I think will help us as we go forward. When you look at these 12 disciples, again, I'm, I'm kind of excluding Judas because he's kind of the odd, you know, betraying Christ kind of changed the dynamic with him. But when you look at these guys, here's what you see. You see an incredibly varied group. I mean, honestly, this is the biggest bunch of misfits you would ever put together. I mean, you got, you got two loud, obnoxious brothers. You've got quiet James over here. You've got Judas, the gentle-souled guy. You've got Peter, the loudmouth. You've got, you got Matthew, the traitor-slash-tax-collector guy who's betrayed the Jewish people. You've got Simon the Zealot who wants to kill anybody associated, that, that, anybody associated with Rome. You have this eclectic, wide variety of people that Jesus assembles together to say, look, when I'm gone... This is the most important message in all the world. I need it to go to all the ends of the earth, and I'm going to entrust it to you 12 guys. And this is a hodge. And again, you know, you, you, you watch it right now in leadership. Anytime we, we have a change in leadership in our country, what, what happens? A president tends to bring around him people that are like him. You know? I mean, our current president, you look at the people that are surrounding him. A lot of them are millionaires. A lot of them are people that have the same kind of ideals and philosophies that he does. Our previous president did the same thing. The president before him did the same thing. The president before them did the same thing. That you, you, bring, you find this as CEOs <coughs> of companies a lot. When, they bring, when a new CEO comes in, they bring around them people who are like them, similar type A personalities or similar type management styles. And similar. They tend to bring people down. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus brings people who are so mismatched that it doesn't make sense from a leadership perspective, but it makes great sense from a kingdom perspective. You see, because what Jesus is trying to illustrate is what his, 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 his kingdom is like. And so it's also a picture of what a church should be like. And, you know, when you look at this group, let me tell you something. It's, it, I'm not going to try to be offensive or anything. It's pretty eclectic. Okay? Because we got, we, got, we got people who are like diehard Republicans, and then we got people who are like diehard Democrats, and then we got people who are like, I could care less about politics, and then we got people who are like, well, I'm a Green Party, and I'm a Purple Party, and I'm an Orange Party. And it, you got all of this hodgepodge of political beliefs out there. If we were to ask how many people came from the Roman Catholic Church and have you stand, and then Presbyterian Church and Methodist and Baptist and Independent and Pentecostal, and um, you would be amazed at the differences that are represented here. Because that's really what the church should be. Um, there, there needs to be this incredible diversity within the body of Christ. Um, and by the way, I think that's why some churches are getting themselves in trouble. Because there, there, there's a church philosophy out there right now that says you gear it to a specific group of people. And, and that's fine. If that's the way people want to do church, let them do church that way. But, you know, we got churches out there saying, you know, let's just gear it to the older people. 
or let's just gear it to the younger people, or let's just gear it to the millennials, or let's just gear it towards it. And, and I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But when you gear it towards the younger people, you lose the wisdom of the older people. And when you get it towards the older people, you lose the enthusiasm and zeal of the younger people. And, and, and I just think sometimes the whole idea of the body of Christ is that it needs to be incredibly diverse and incredibly varied. And that's what we try to do here. That, that, that's what we're after. There's an incredible unity because here's why. They could put aside all of their stuff and focus on Jesus. So you don't read stories of Simon the Zealot going over and like, beating up Matthew. You know, you don't read the stories about, um, you know, Simon. And again, he's the guy that's the extremist. You don't read stories of Simon trying to get in and convert everybody to be a zealot. And, and you don't read stories of, of, of Matthew all focused on the money part of the ministry. You, you see this, this attitude that we're going to focus on Jesus and what he's teaching and following him. And we're going to take our personal stuff, and we're just going to kind of put it off to the side as personal stuff. And that doesn't mean we can't have great discussions with people who disagree with us. But we're not going to push our agenda onto them because the agenda, it's not my agenda versus your agenda. It's, it's what's God's agenda? What's, what's, what's Jesus want? What does Jesus teach? And, and that's what they were able to focus on. I think the other thing that you see with these guys is that they were teachable. They said, okay, we'll follow you. I mean, a zealot said, you know what, look, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, that whole peace thing, well, you know, that could be like your thing because I'm a zealot and we don't believe in peace. Um, you know, we believe you make peace with a sword. Um, and, you know, Matthew, you know, when Jesus talks about repentance and making things right and giving back fourfold, you know, Matthew's doing the numbers in his head going, eh, that don't work. But, but, but they have this teachable spirit where they're willing to listen to Jesus and go back and consider and think about what Jesus has taught. And you watch it affect them. You watch two hot-headed brothers all of a sudden become known. Love is mentioned more by the Gospel of John, the writer John, than any other. And yet when he starts out, he's a hot-headed person called the Sons of Thunder. And yet he's known for love. And James, his brother, Sons of Thunder, known for mercy. Wow, what a change. What a change. Because they were teachable. And the other thing is they were committed. They they were going to follow Jesus no matter what. And you see that, by the way, most of them die. Most of, most of them die as martyrs. And they were committed to, to no matter what. By the way, that, that's a great testimony as to the, the authenticity of Jesus' message. Because, look, most people won't die for somebody they know is a fake and a phony. And particularly if you're related to them. And so there's an incredible, there's an incredible authenticity to that. So, Okay, so as we wrap it all up, what, what, what do we take away from us from, from looking at these guys? And here's, here's the first thing. I got two things. Here's the first thing. First thing is that we all have to be committed and teachable. You know what? Sometimes I think we get the idea that Christianity is I've got to make this mark, and, and when I get here, I'm spiritual. When I get to this point, I've arrived. And I think sometimes we can get that, we can feel that way. It's not what it's about. It's about being faithful. It's about hanging in there. It's about realizing that, you know what? This wasn't what I had in mind when I signed up, but I'm okay with it. Because, see, I think when these disciples start out, what they have in mind is they're going to rule over Rome, and Jesus is going to be king. But somehow in the process, that changes, 
and they start to realize his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. His, his kingdom is about something far more than Rome. And they're able to accept and embrace that. And they're able to even commit to that. And I think that's, when we look at Christianity, I think that's what's so important. You know, I, I deal with people that are like, you know, well, I want God to use me. I want God to do this. Or I want God to do this. I get that. But you want, you want to know what God requires more than anything else from you? Faith. Faith. Faithfulness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, moreover, it's acquired in stewards. It may be found faithful. You know what God's looking for from us? That we hang in there, that we don't quit, that we're committed, that we continue to learn. Till the day we, that's what he wants from us. And if you ever get to the point that you think you've arrived, boy, I'm just here to tell you, you haven't. What you'll find is the more you grow in Christ and the more you grow in, in, in the knowledge of the Word of God here, you'll find the farther down the list you go because you realize how much that you have to work on. And that's okay. That's okay. That's part of the process. Another thing is this. And this is, guess, what I, what I struggle with, with with us as a church is this. You don't believe that God can use you. You look at, your, you look at yourself and you go, you know, there, there, there's people with more talents and more gifts. And more. I want to end it with this. 1 Corinthians. Listen to what 1 Corinthians, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians says. First one, chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He said, look. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things. Things that are not to nullify things that are. So that no one may boast before him. That's the disciples. These guys turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But they weren't. Go all the way down it. God chose the foolish things. When they preach at Pentecost, you know what they do? They look at them and go, these guys are a bunch of uneducated people. How can they talk like that? And they realize they could talk like that because God allowed them and used them to talk like that. Not many of noble birth. None of these guys had, had a, a pedigree from the birth part of it. Foolish things of the world. These guys were fishermen. These guys were common men. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. They were people that you wouldn't put, but God said, no, you know what? I can use them. Because when they trust me, when they follow me, when they are obedient, you know what? The world's going to stand back and go, you know what? I don't get it. But there's something there. There's something there. I think what you see in Scripture, and by the way, look at the people God uses. God uses the ordinary person. I think it was Lincoln who said, you know, God must love the ordinary man because he created so many of them. There's something to be said for that. And the fact that God wants to take us and use us so the world steps back and goes, you know what, I don't get it, but there's something going on there. That's kind of what's been exciting about the building thing for me. People in the community are talking. And when they start asking questions, they just shake their head and walk away. You know, when, they shake, you, know, when, you, when you look at them and go, yeah, we didn't do a building fund. What? You didn't do a capital campaign? No. Didn't like send out monies for letters for money? No. How are you paying for it? Some big benefactor? Nope. You got some trust that you guys are like getting money from? Nope. How's it working? 
still building. Haven't run out of money yet. God's still at work. God's taking care of it. Well, like, you just want us to come so you can ask for money. Okay, come. See if we ask you for money. I don't understand how that works. Exactly. Exactly. I don't understand how, you know, how are you guys getting that built? I mean, you know, you got like a whole building crew or what? No, we just got a bunch of guys that show up and we sit around and drink coffee and eat cookies and then we figure out what we're going to do and we go out and do it and halfway through it, figure out we need to do it a different way and come back in and the ladies have a meal for us and we sit down and eat and while we're eating we talk about how we need to go redo what we just did and then we go back out and we do it a second way and then we come back in for cookie and coffee and say, I think that'll work. And uh, that's the way we'll do it from now on. You guys are going, there's no way. You haven't been here. Okay? I just described Tuesdays and Fridays up here. All right? And if we're lucky, if we're lucky, and God smiles down upon us, we only do it twice. You know? But I guarantee you, at the end of the day, we walk away, and we've, we, we may be tired, and we may be sore, but we've had a good day. And uh, it's fun. And I, I was telling somebody, somebody was on the phone yesterday to somebody, they don't live in this area, and we were talking, and, and they asked, they said, how's the thing going? And I said, you know what? I said, I've come to realize more than ever that we're not building a building. We're building relationships. And I said, honestly, I really don't care if we ever get the building done. I said, because we're building relationships. I said, you know, six, eight hours, twice a week. And I said, there's nothing that can replace that. And we're getting to know each other and laugh and and, um, know each other, you know, and and just build these relationships of getting able to share stuff. And it's, it's just an incredible thing that's happening. And I watch the ladies, you know, now, you know, they start coming in earlier and earlier and staying later and later, you know, they're building relationships. And listen, folks, listen to me. I, I, I cannot stress how God is using that in all of our lives. Because that's what this thing's about. And some of you don't believe God can use you. Oh, I'm too young. No, you're not. I don't have my act together yet as a Christian. That'll come. You'll learn. You'll grow, just like all of us. Well, I'm just not that outspoken. Okay, so we'll call you James the Less. You know? Well, I've got my really strong political opinions. Great. You'll, you'll be our Simon. You know? Well, I always shoot up my mouth and then I think about it. Okay, Peter. And everything's black and white for me. Okay, James or John, we'll decide which way you go, mercy or love, you know. You know, well, but what about all of those people, you know, that aren't, okay, Judas, not Thaddeus. See, well, you know, I just feel like I'm just not involved. Okay, Matthias. Don't worry, your time will come. You know, we still follow. And I think that's the great thing about these guys, these these guys that follow Jesus. And and I think it's a great encouragement for us. So I want to end with this. God picks 12 diverse guys to carry on his message. These people were dedicated and committed to follow him even to death. They were ordinary people who committed their lives to Jesus 
And he used them to take the good news of Jesus Christ to all of the world. His methods have not changed. And he'll do the same thing with us if we let him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, there's a world out there that needs Christ. They need to hear and experience what we have experienced. They need to understand that there is a hope far beyond this world. They need to understand that they can live with a peace to be able to navigate the issues of this world. So, Lord, guide us, help us. May people see Christ in us. And, Lord, may you use us, no matter where we are on that spectrum of, of the disciples. But, Lord, there's somebody all of us can relate to. So use us and uh, help us to be faithful. And, uh, Lord, uh, when it is all said and done, may people see Christ in our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, let's